of Jesus, in the time of Jesus, when he entered Jerusalem, what did the world look like? What was their view of Jesus? How did they respond to Jesus? And then we can figure out what is our response to Jesus. So we're going to go into scripture. You can follow with me Luke 19, uh, the passage from verse 28 to verse 40. Uh, I'm going to just share verse 28, and then we're going to jump to verse 35. So you can uh, follow with me Luke 19. So after Jesus had said this, remember this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. They brought it to Jesus. Now the it that they're talking about is a donkey, okay, or in other words, a colt. So they brought the donkey to Jesus. They threw the cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. All right. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. We see this beautiful image of the road being um, almost like a red carpet being thrown for Jesus with the clothes of the people. And in one of the scriptures, it talks about them taking palm branches. They, they took branches of trees and they started to praise him. So when they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God with loud voices Makes me think of our congregation this morning. I, I stood here and I heard the whole congregation with loud voice praising Jesus for being our king. And they praised him for all the miracles that, they, uh, that they've seen. And they said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. If I hear that's, that slogan, peace in, uh, peace in heaven and glory in the highest, it makes me think of the birth of Jesus where the angels sang that song, glory to the highest, peace on earth. Um, it, it's one of those moments. It's a significant moment. And then some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They didn't like that. Maybe it was too noisy for them. I don't know. They said, Make them, keep them quiet. Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So we're going to go into this passage. Now, there's a lot of people that's mentioned, and there's some people that's not mentioned, and we're going to also look at them. them. But first of all, before we look at the world around Jesus, we're going to first quickly look at our world today. And I don't know about you, but you don't have to, to be that sharp to pick up that the world around us is broken. Amen? We live in a broken world. The world shouts out and screams out that it's in need of a savior and it's in need of a ruler, a king. That's why the rule of the Antichrist will be monster active to the world because the Antichrist will not present himself as this big monster. He will come as a savior to the world, coming with solutions to this crisis that we find ourselves in, in this world. If we just look at Israel today, the very same place, Jerusalem, where Jesus went in with his donkey, what do we see today when we look at Israel? We see, um, first of all, if, if you think about Jerusalem, you, you think about that, that dome, that golden dome. That is not Jewish. That's Muslim. 
That's a Muslim temple on the place where the temple of Solomon used to be. That's why the Jews are wailing at the wall. They talk about the wailing wall. It's the only original wall of the original temple that was uh, remaining. And the Jews forever are standing at that wall, wailing, praying to God to give them back the temple, uh, to give them back their nation. We see uh, the uprise of uh, um, violence. The, you see the bombing, bombings going off in Jerusalem or near the surrounding area, the West Bank area, as well as the Gaza Strip, the Palestinian occupation. The whole Middle Eastern area is in turmoil. And then we know about the whole thing about the oil in that region. And, and Israel, we already see conflicts and interests of nations around Israel. So just looking at Israel, we already see a disturbance in the force. Israel is in need of a Messiah. We see the eastern gate locked. You see that wall there with that big gate. It's closed off because they say they're waiting for the Messiah to enter. So they are expected, but they're not ex accepting Jesus. The world today is promising a lot of things to, to us. It's promising to us. It's shouting out uh, world security. It's shouting out freedom of speech. It's shouting out uh, health, World Health Organization. There's all sorts of things that um, this world is, is propagating and offering us. It's almost like creating this illusion that we're a happy little family in this global village. And as nice as they want to portray that picture of this world that's working together, we know it's not working. Because what we see underneath that is wars. We see economic wars. We see religious wars. The bombing of Christians and uh, um, Christian um, worshippers, uh, for instance, in Nigeria. We see persecution of Christians. But not just Christians. We see political wars. People fighting over a over, um, piece of land. Fighting over the oil. That's economical wars. It's far from a peaceful place. It is unsafe. Just think about our country. People will ask you, where do you live? And you give them a street address, then they say, oh, is it safe to stay there? Why should you ask that question? It's my home. And then you would answer, I think it's as safe as it can be in South Africa. We have become so used to that, that it's almost like the norm. But it's not safe anymore. We think about the Russian and Ukraine conflict that's been going on for more than a year now. Uh, the 9-11, who remembers the 9-11 Twin Tower attack with the plane? What's happening there? What's happening here? So going into the picture of the world, we quickly see that this world is very messed up and in need of a savior. Now let's go back into the world of Jesus at that time. To understand the world of Jesus entering Jerusalem, there's three people groups that's important. There's the Romans on the one side, then the Jews on the other side, and then the disciples of Jesus. That's a particular people group. And we're going to look at these three groups of people, how they viewed Jesus and responded to him. That will give us an idea of how the world looked like and then what their response is to Jesus. And they responded very differently because of three different views. Now, first of all, the Romans. So who is the Romans? The Roman Empire, it's a mighty empire that was a global a world empire um, based in Italy with Rome as the capital city and ruled by emperors. And it spread over three continents already. 
Um, you can just go back one day um, over um, Africa, North Africa, Europe, and then Asia as well. So the whole civilized world was covered with the Roman Empire. Now, <clears throat> ruled by an emperor, Julius Caesar has conquered the, the Celtic Gaul, France, in 51 BC. And then he was assassinated in 44 BC. And then he was replaced by his son, Caius Julius Caesar Octavianus. <laughs> okay, in short, Octavian. All right, now Octavian then... Uh, was the ruler, and he claimed to himself the title of Augustus. Have you ever heard about Augustus Caesar? The word Augustus means sacred or exalted. So he was the first Roman emperor, Octavian, and he was called the exalted emperor. And that's where the concept of emperor worship came from. And that's why people in the street would greet one another saying, Hail Caesar, because they would uh, share their devotion and their loyalty and their worship to the emperor. Now, <clears throat> in 63 BC, Pompey uh, has entered Jerusalem, and, and the Romans quickly realized that the Jews were not willing to pay homage to the Roman gods and to the emperor because of their faith. They're supposed to believe in God alone. So at first, then they exempted the Jews from this regulation. So the Jews were excused for not um, worshipping the emperor. And the reason for that is because the Jews have helped Julius Caesar in one of the previous battles. So there was just a thing going on there. But the real thing is that Rome kept the people in Jerusalem from rioting. They didn't want a revolt. They didn't want an upset in their kingdom. So they would compromise there and say, okay, it's fine if you don't worship the emperor as long as you guys don't riot. Keep stable and then... We can keep calm and carry on. <laughs> okay, that was the attitude. Now, Herod the First, have you heard about Herod the First or Herod the Great? He was appointed by the Senate in 40 BC as the king of the Jews. So now he's made the king of the Jews. And he actually was the one who rebuilt the Temple of Solomon. And he showed then favor towards the Jews. And he won their hearts over by giving them a temple. But this same Herod the, the Great was the one who gave the... See the for the babies to be killed at the time of Jesus' birth. So we see the true heart of the Roman Empire when Jesus arrives at the scene. Now the interesting fact is that emperor worship in the whole area of the Roman Empire actually first started in the area of Judea, under the Jews, under the reign of Herod the Great. Why? Because he wanted to win favor with the Romans. It's funny to think that the Jews, who are so against any other worship than God, gave themselves into this emperor worship under his rule. Such a compromise. Now, the Roman way of life was a mixture of cultures and religions and traditions. As more nations were conquered, they, they adopted all these idols and the, the ways of worship. So, as a result, in the Roman Empire, they worshipped many gods. I don't want to even try to start to name them. Jupiter is one Zeus is one of them. All these gods with different meanings. So Jesus could easily have fitted into that. They would say, he's another god. It's fine. Add him to the number of gods. They worshipped many spirits. And then obviously they also worshipped the emperor. The Roman culture was a culture of indulgence. If you were a Roman citizen, you had privileges. It's a wealthy, luxurious lifestyle. 
you have it all. You've got the Porsche and the nice house. And uh, it's all about physical pleasure and sexual pleasure. It's about the flesh. And anything can be tolerated as long as it doesn't interfere with this culture of indulgence. As long as you don't go against that, then it's fine. You will be adopted and you will be tolerated. So they were completely unaware of Jesus and what Jesus stood for. And as long as Jesus did not threaten their indulgent lifestyle, that's okay. He can be Jesus and he can do whatever he wants to do. It's also a culture of entertainment. We saw in the arenas, in the coliseums, um, how they have gladiator sports, uh, the horse riding, horse races that went on there, and all for the entertainment of people. Can you pick up already how our world today looks like, similar to the Roman times? A world of indulgence, a world of entertainment. As long as you are entertained, then, then that's good. If it can satisfy your soul, then it's good. So later, the Christians were brutally killed in these Colosseums by these gladiators or by lions, thrown to the lions, for the entertainment of the people. That's how far the Roman culture went. So from a distance, it seems like the Romans were civilized, but the fact is that the whole Roman Empire was built on the army, the Roman army. It was built on brutal force. So the citizens realized that they need to be loyal to the emperor because the alternative is just too costly, too pricey. It's, uh, the price is too high to pay. They would face the brutality of the Roman army. So the soldiers maintained the culture of Rome. And one of the ways they did it was the, um, the use of crucifixion as a form of capital punishment. So if you were seen as a criminal, you would be tortured, you would be flogged, and you would be crucified. So Jesus was not the first guy to be crucified. That was the way that they would torture people to send out the message to the, to the other people, you better stay in line. Or, and then we see Jesus being crucified by the Roman soldiers. First he appeared to, to Herod II, or Antipas. Now what was interesting when Jesus appeared to him, he was actually first at first eager to see Jesus because he hoped that Jesus would perform some form of sign. Okay, Jesus, what are you going to do to me, for me today? What's your miracle trick? And then he asked Jesus some questions, and Jesus refused to answer any of his questions. And he became alarmed. And then what did he do? He joined the soldiers in mocking Jesus. They started mocking him. They put uh, excessive rope on him to mock his rulership or his kingship, and, they, and then he sent him off to Pontius Pilate, Pilate, not willing to make a decision about him. Then Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate. He was the Roman governor of the area of Judea, and he was the one who then gave the order for Jesus to be flogged and crucified, but at the same time, he washed his hands in innocence to say, I don't want anything to do with this crucifixion. How can you do that? How can you at the same time say crucify, but at the same time you say I'm innocent of his blood? So what do we see if we look at the world in the Romans' times? The Romans show us something, that at first they were ignorant, but they became intolerant. As long as Jesus did not interfere with their culture of indulgence, they did not care whether they exist or not, or else they become intolerant. 
hostile. The world today is like that. The world out there, if you live a sinful life, you're ignorant of Jesus. You don't know about him. You don't care about him. As long as he doesn't interfere with your lifestyle. And the moment Jesus brings truth into society, we see the society becoming very hostile. Think about the example of just the the gender confusion that's currently going on. As Christians, you're almost not allowed to say, hey, male, female. The Bible says clearly, male, female. Man, woman. Very simple. The moment you open your mouth to bring Christian truth, biblical truth, you are persecuted. You are unwelcome anymore. The world suddenly turns and becomes intolerant towards Christians. Because why? They are intolerant towards Christ. So where are you this morning? Are you on the spectrum of the Romans where where you're actually protecting your sinful lifestyle? Where you don't mind Jesus as long as he doesn't interfere with your lifestyle. And the moment that someone speaks truth to you, you start to become very defensive. That's the Romans. Now let's jump to the Jews. Okay, the Jews, God's people. God gave them what? The promised land, Israel, okay, the beautiful place where they were living. And they were very expectant for a Messiah. Guess why? Because they were oppressed by the Romans. And they were waiting for a Messiah, a a ruler, maybe more a political leader that would come and rescue them from the Romans. If he would be a great king, if Jesus can be a great king, and if he can free us from these bad Romans oppressing us, then surely if he can give us back our land, he's a great king. The economic thing about Jews, if you think about a Jew, even today we would sometimes um, say this and say it's all about business, eh? making money. But they are blessed. They know how to make money. So for a Jew, it's really, it's coming down to can I make money or not? And they were appalled by the fact that they had to pay so much money in taxes to the Roman uh, government. So they were waiting for this economical leader to say, can free us from paying taxes? And then you are my king. It doesn't sound too far off from the world we're living in today. How many times we are grumbling against our government? Waiting for another leader to rescue us from the rule of the government. If we can have someone to come to all our business people and say, from now on, we're going to cut taxes with 50%. Oh, Jesus is going to be very popular. But I think something more than taxes, if Jesus can come and say, I will make sure that you don't run out of power. Uninterrupted power. No more load shedding. Oh, Jesus is then a popular savior. That's the Jews. They were expecting, but not really accepting. And we see it very much in the Pharisees, the leaders, the Jewish religious leaders. They were people described in the Bible as they seek the status. They like the status of being seen by people. They like the influence. They like to stay close to the Romans and to, to enjoy their favor. They also liked the money that came from being close to the treasury. So they were very much influential, but in control. They had the power. But more than that, they had the knowledge. They were the ones studying scriptures. They were the teachers of Israel. 
And they knew, studying the Old Testament, all the scriptures that was pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. They were actually able to point out to Jesus and say, this is him. They knew the best, yet they did not accept him. So we see, what does the Jews show us? There's that expectation, but no acceptance. Why? Because he doesn't fit the expectation. Not from a biblical point of view, but from their, from their own viewpoint. We form our own expectations of what Christ should be. And if he fits that, then we sing hallelujah. If he doesn't fit that, we don't want him. That's what we see with him. That's how the world is also today. Maybe more the religious world. There's an expectation, but not acceptance. And then we see the disciples of Jesus. Now surely, okay, Romans, Jews, disciples. Let's see what's going on here. The disciples were people that were taught by Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. So they were the people of Jesus. All right? And I hope we say we're a disciple-making family, so it's like the Willows congregation. Let's see if we fit that. So <clears throat> we see in Luke 18, Jesus took the twelve aside, and then he told them. What did he tell them? This is what he told them. We are going to Jerusalem, first of all. Everything that's written in the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. The moment of all truth. Jerusalem, everything will be fulfilled. How amazing is Jesus? He's telling them the whole truth. And then he spells it out to them. If they didn't understand that, he says to them the following. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked. They will insult him. They will spit on him. They will flog him. And they will kill him. They had the whole script. They knew exactly what's going to happen. And then more than that, he said, and he will raise on the third day. So they had the full script. They were fully instructed of what's going to happen here. Okay, so that's like, woohoo, let's get psyched up. Jesus is going to be killed. Okay, let's go, let's go. And I think that's where they got stuck in the message. Jesus is going to be killed. They didn't get the resurrection part at them well. But we see the Bible says that the disciples did not understand any of this. They sat in that disciple-making class with Jesus, and he told them about this is going to happen. They had no idea what was he talking about. That's what the Bible says. They didn't comprehend what was he talking about. Prophets, written in the prophets about the Son of Man. It was just the sermon, like some of us today, the sermon is just going right above your head. You've got no idea what I'm talking about. Many times we sit in a sermon and we don't understand what it's about. Many times we read the Bible, we've got no idea what it's all about. Even if it's spelled out. But the interesting thing for me uh, is that even if they didn't have understanding of what was really going to happen, they did something. This is what they've done. I want to demonstrate here. <clears throat> so the Bible said the whole crowd of them joyfully and with a loud voice, you know, remember they had the palm branches in their hands. They were shouting out for the miracles that they've seen. So they thought, sure, if we just think about the miracles, this is an awesome guy. This is a significant moment. We don't understand what he's saying, what's going to happen there. We, we, 
we didn't understand that part, but it seems like an important moment. Let's jump in and let's start to proclaim him as king. And they said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, very dramatically, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Okay? Beautiful moment. And this is what they've done. It's, 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 it's a beautiful thing for me because they don't have a full understanding yet. This is what they've done. Okay, now. If this is what they've done, then we ask the question, why? If they didn't have a full understanding about what Jesus predicted, why would they proclaim him as king? Surely they then didn't understand that. Or why such a bold step to proclaim Jesus publicly as a king in the face of the Romans and in the face of the Pharisees, their leaders? Quite a bold statement, and, and I'm asking myself, but isn't this what the disciple of Jesus is supposed to do? What do you think? In the face of Romans, in the face of Pharisees, are we supposed to publicly proclaim Jesus as king? Yes or no? Yes, that's what they're supposed to do. So the behavior, the response is beautiful, it's right. But I, I've picked up something in this context, and I thought it made me curious. And I thought, just looking at the previous context, the previous passage, it may share some light about what is really also going on underneath. It's, the whole passage started with, after Jesus said this, he went on to Jerusalem, and then this whole thing happened. They crowned him as king. What was the this that he was talking about? Jesus have said something. And after he said this, that happened. So what was this important message that has propelled this powerful public demonstration? So we go back to the previous passage in Luke 19. And we see Jesus. Jesus knew that he's coming close to Jerusalem. Okay? And he knew that the people are ready to make him king. Why? Because they got psyched up on all the miracles that he's done. He saw that they were so fascinated by his miracle powers that they were ready to make him king. And then he shared a parable with them about this noble man who became a king. He went off to a different country, he became a king, and then he came back, and then his subjects, the people serving him, didn't actually accept him as a king. What a funny story for Jesus to tell He's sort of emphasizing something. He says, okay, this guy is becoming king. He said, this is what the king then said. He says, those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. And that is very true to any king. You can read any king in the Bible, typically what they will do. If you're not loyal to them, you are executed. So Jesus is not saying something that's ridiculous. This is what the king would typically do. If you're not a loyal subject, then you are executed. That was the last words the disciples heard Jesus saying. And then they came to Jerusalem. So it made me think. They saw these branches. They realized it's an important moment. He was sharing something about the king. They know for them he's a king because of all the miracles. <laughs> Very dramatically that we are loyal subjects then maybe we're going to be executed. 
Because the moment that he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be king. And the moment he sits on the throne, remember what they expected, a political leader. And he will slain them for not being good subjects. Maybe it's not true. This is maybe just the way I see it. Because the Bible says, after Jesus said this. So it, it must have influenced the way they responded. And the reason why I ask that is, we have to ask, was this a demonstration of loyalty to the king of Jesus, the Jesus king? So let's assume first that they are loyal. If they were loyal, let's say their heart's motive was right. We are loyal to Jesus. We praise him. We say, you are the king. Then why did they desert him the moment that he got arrested? Knowing that he was supposed to, to be killed. Because he's going to be resurrected. They had the full script. It was enough for them to say, it doesn't matter what Jesus will go through, we will go through it with him because we're going to hold on to that promise of Jesus being raised from the dead. And if he's being raised from the dead, then it doesn't matter what happens with us. If we are killed, then surely we will be raised to, the, to, to life. That should be a faith confession. Do you agree? They had the full script. So if this was a public demonstration that was based from loyalty, then I asked myself the question, why did you desert, desert him the moment there was persecution? Let's say they were not acting in loyalty. They were maybe filled with fear, okay, or confusion. And they still did it. Then why would Jesus allow them to do it? If he knew that they, they were not really loyal. Surely he knew that. Why did he allow it? So what oil? See, when I look at the disciples, is that they are joyful people, but disloyal. They're joyful to proclaim him as king because of the miracles that, this is what the Bible says, for the miracles that he's done. They enjoyed the blessings of Jesus being a king, but the moment there's trouble, they're out. Now that was before the Holy Spirit was brought out on them. I'm sure it made a big difference. We can see it in the life of Peter. Peter was one of them. Peter couldn't even testify his faith in front of a servant girl. A servant girl. What has she got? She's got no influence. He couldn't even stand up for his faith. But after the Holy Spirit was poured out, Peter was the one preaching to thousands of people and they got saved. So we should also understand it was at the time when the Holy Spirit was not yet poured out. But it shows us something about the world today. The world will gladly accept Jesus if they can benefit from all the miracles. We started this year off with a series, Miracles. And I don't know about you, I've experienced already some miracles in my life in these short three months. What about you? We benefit. It's a blessing. And, and surely we can say, we praise you for the miracles. But the world soon turns away. They desert him just like that if they, first, if they face trouble. Then that is not really a deep-rooted faith. At all. So my question again, why did Jesus then allow them to go on with this dramatic proclamation if, if their motives wasn't really fully in place yet? If he knew that they're going to desert him. Why? So we see the way he ends here. He talks to the Pharisees. So the Pharisees sees this whole thing of the disciples 
proclaiming Jesus, and they didn't like it at all. And they said to Jesus, Jesus, rebuke your disciples immediately. What are they really saying? They say, Jesus, shut them up. They, they shouldn't say that. Stop them from saying that you are the king, because we don't accept you as king. This is what the Pharisees are saying. But then Jesus makes this interesting comment. He says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. What do you think that means? I brought a stone with. And I, and I thought, if you don't listen today. <laughs> so, so why did Jesus suddenly ref refer back to a stone? Nor in a stone, stones are neither ignorant nor intolerant. They can't form an opinion. They're not expecting, they're also not um, unaccepting. They're not joyful. Hey, be joyful. <laughs> they're also not disloyal. They've got no understanding, just like the disciples. They don't have a mind. They don't have a heart. There's no emotions. The stone is like the least. Nothing. And Jesus says, well, if you who know something and maybe you don't understand everything, stop to say it, then this stone who doesn't understand anything is still going to shout out, Jesus is king. Because here's the thing, it is still the truth. It is the truth. It is the truth. Jesus is king. That was the most significant moment that entering to Jerusalem, proclaiming the message to the whole world. Jesus is king. And Jesus says, I don't care now in this moment whether you're loyal or not or what your opinion about me is. It is still true. And if you, don't, if you are going to shut up, then the stones will start to cry out. But this is truth. It's true that Jesus is king whether you know about it or not. Jesus died to the whole world, but the whole world is not saved as we sit here because they don't know about him. But it doesn't make it if not their savior. He's the king whether you accept it or not. He doesn't need your acceptance to be king. He's the king whether you understand it or not. Like the disciples, they didn't really fully understand at that moment. It's okay. It doesn't change the fact. He is the king. He's the king whether you are passionate about it or not. Whether you scream joyfully, Jesus is king. Still king whether you are loyal to him or not. So if he's still the king, I want us to reflect this morning. If this is the fact, if this is the truth, Jesus is king. No matter what the Roman world said, no matter what the Jews said, no matter what the modern world is saying about him. I want us to close our eyes and reflect on this message and to see if you can find yourself, where are you on the spectrum? Are you like the Romans? Who, who may be ignorant, you might be ignorant about Jesus, but very hostile when you are confronted. Are you protecting your sinful lifestyle? Are you like the Jews 
He was expectant for a Jesus to change your circumstances, to make life better, but not accepting the Jesus. Are you like the disciples at that time who was very joyful for the miracles and the blessings that you get from God, but there's no lawyer in full surrender whenever you face trouble? Or are you in full surrender and submission to the Lord Jesus? So when we say, Hosanna, what is your heart saying? When we bow down with our bodies, what is your heart doing? When we raise our hands in praise, what is your heart doing? Father, we just want to bow down before you this morning. We just want to surrender our hearts to you and become aware, Lord, of all these different views and attitudes towards you. Jesus, and this morning we to receive you as King. And as a congregation, we want to choose to respond to you in the right way. Not just with the right behavior, but Lord, with the right heart and the right attitude. And I pray, forgive us, Lord, when we have become like the Romans and the Jews and even the disciples in the beginning, Lord. And I pray that you'll bring a full conviction in our heart about your kingship in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to end off with a song. This is the way we're going to respond this morning. And Miriam is going to lead us now in that song. And she's going to explain to us how we're going to respond to that. And I want to ask again, whatever we do now in this song, let it not just be behavior, but let's get our heart into it. Family, this next song I'm going to sing is Alpha and Omega. And one of the lyrics goes, you are worthy to be praised. And in the Bible, there's actually seven different expressions and meanings of praise. And the Hebrew word for praise that I'm going to speak about this morning is barak. Barak means to bow down or to kneel in worship, to prostrate yourself, to fall down, to kneel, to adore him. Psalm 95 verse 6 says, come let us worship him and bow down. Let us barak. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker in reverent praise and supplication. In the Bible, bowing down is one of the most commanded acts of worship in the Bible. It means to bow down, to speak in reverent submission, fear of God, and praising him from a place of adoration before him. It's a to kneel down, to fall flat on your face, to prostrate yourself before him. It's an act of worship. It's biblical. That is how God has called us to worship him. And family, this morning, it, it might be something uncomfortable or you've never done it before, but I just want us to sing the song together, but let's kneel before him. Let's kneel in reverence, in supplication, in surrender, and let's sing the song together. You can make space wherever you are, space here in the front. Let's just bow before him.
As we bow down, I just sense the Holy Spirit is saying to us, are you ready to let go of the sin that you have not yet surrendered? Are you ready to let go of the expectations that you've been holding on to that is not godly, that is not Christ-like? Are you ready to make peace? Are you ready to fully surrender? Are you ready to let go? Lord Jesus, in this moment, as we worship, as we bow down before you, as we're on our knees before you with our bodies, Lord, we want to humble ourselves. And we just want to surrender and say, you are the king. You pray, Lord, as we confess the sin that we need to let go of, as we confess the wrong expectations that we had about you, Lord, the wrong attitudes that we had about you, Lord, that we will just lay down before you, Lord. And I pray that this will be this morning a day of victory. I pray for people this morning that's trapped with addictions, Lord, that they couldn't break free from, that in this moment as we surrender, that they will be set free in this moment right now by your power. I pray for deliverance over that, and I pray for peace of God to rule our hearts in Jesus' name. And we say amen.